Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Excellent, Mr. Smith. Just fantastic to be on with you again. Like, this is the highlight of my day. When I know that I'm going to be on a show with you, it's like it is, I can't even sleep the night before. I bet you say that to all the girls. No, 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 no. Oh, wow. I think, I, I think you've said that to plenty of people. But anyhow... I'm very excited. Um, I also, I want to ask our listeners to, to do us a favor. We want them to, we want to hear from them. We want them to e- email us. We want to hear their thoughts, who they want to have on the show, any questions they have. They can do that at fullchangepodcast at gmail.com. And it's also a great place if they want to book you for a speaking gig. If someone wants That's to right. have you come to their school or their, their organization or their, their hockey team, whatever it is, you, you're a great public speaker. You do a lot of speeches all over the place. And we, you know, we'd love to, to, get you on some some speaking gigs so they can reach out through that email and they can book you for their event. You're very charming, right? You're funny sometimes. I try to put a little humor in there and like poke fun of myself more than anything. You know, it's interesting. I look back when I was in school at Northern Michigan University, I took speech, speech was my major. So I was taking, you know, speech. I think it's some of the speeches I made back then compared to where I am now. Oh, it's man. pretty funny how you just said speeches are made and you blew that sentence, right? As you said that, you kind of- What, how did, what I said? You said, what is, I think speeches- like a Joe Biden moment there for a little bit. I, I'm rough, man. When I speak, I'm rough. Like I get the, all over the place, yeah. No, but you're yeah. good. You're engaging and you, you know, you give these great speeches and you have a good message and, you know, if people want to hear that, you know, they should book you. They can reach out to us through fullchangepodcast at gmail.com. They can also um, leave us anyone they want to hear on the show, any topics. Yeah. If we mess up, they can call us out on it. You know, please. Yeah. We'd love to hear from our fans. Definitely. Yeah. Give it to us. Don't be nice to us. Yeah. We, you know, we, we talked to We have fans in, in Ireland. We have fans in, in Hungary. We have fans in Poland. We have, really? In Hungary? Yeah. So it's, it's pretty cool to see. We have wow. fans in Bosnia. If you're listening to this show and downloading it, we want to hear from you. Right. So, oh, and I forgot to Barry Beck. Yeah. He's in Hong Kong. What if you Barry Beck's in Hong Kong. Is, you think he's a listener? I bet you he is. Yeah, he follows. We follow each other on Facebook, all stuff too. Right. Uh, I mean, how could he not be? There's been some great topics. It's like you know, we're like hockey cards come to life. These shows, you know, you see you see someone and you hear their career, and it's 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 right in front of you. You know what? That's a good point for you. Like I obviously knew what we were doing when we started, but it's kind of gone way not, not way different. But it's like it's better than I thought it was going to be. Like all the stories we're getting from people, even some of the guests that maybe are you know, really well known players. Yeah, really interesting stories. Yeah. Everybody's got a good story. Even some of the guys who aren't even players, like Sam uh, Rosen, was great. And yeah. Kenny Albert was great. We've had coaches and GMs, and you know, we've had people involved in the game, and it's been it's been a great journey. We're about eighty episodes in, so uh, yeah. You know, it's funny too, like how how interesting the guys want to do it. Like you're really excited to do it. They're thankful. Remember Morris Lukowicz? We did the show with him. He's great. We're, try, we're trying to get him to move on. To no, no, Tommy, I got to finish this story. <laughs> Listen, we have to respect that he just plows through. I mean, that's oh good, man, you know. <laughs> that's that's your approach. 
Oh God, yeah. Oh, but <laughs> it is funny because everybody's listening to that. When, when Tom Smith and I met each other, my producer right here, uh, our producer, I apologize, said it that way. Um, we really didn't know each other that well. And Tom's a big hockey fan, but he really never been around like hockey players a lot and heard their stories. And through some of the stories that's been told, that, like, good stories, bad stories. <laughs> Tom's like, oh. Well, you know what it is, though? I, it, that's true, because we, we hold you guys up as these idols, but I played hockey my whole life, and it, yeah. it, it's the same dynamic. There's always the one person who's difficult, the one person who's this, the yeah. one person who's crazy. Yeah. It's just you guys just are pros, so we don't expect it. We're like, yeah. we hold you guys to a higher standard. It's like, no, no, you guys are just as messed up as every beer league guy yeah. and, and the team. You know, there's always the characters and the personalities, and there's the guys, you know, putting a baby powder in the, the hairdresser, and this this guy's I'm breaking a- sticks over his head. How about the show with Dave Silver who talked about the, putting all the food on the kitchen floor? And then running you, whole- you, lo- you, you keep referring to the Silky episode. It was great, but we got to get him back on then because I, I think I think you just scratched the surface on that one. I don't yeah, think we're we fully did. into everything. Too bad we couldn't, we couldn't do an X-rated version of that. <laughs> I think you could. Well, uh, you know, I don't want to give it away, but off air, you guys, we, there definitely was an X-rated <laughs> version of that one. And all oh, I'm going to say is, Vakoda and Pilai were mad fantastic too. Sorry to interrupt you. No, they're, no, they're great. No, they're great. No, all I can say about um, you and Dave Silk is I just sportorama. Just do do your <laughs> do your diligence. Your fans can dig into that one and ask me offline. I'll give you some uh, some clues about that. Uh, oh, and I, we learned a lesson there too because I called him about two days before the show and we started reminiscing about old stories. And I kind of didn't ruin it, but you know, next time we're not going to talk before the show. Yeah, don't talk, 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 save it for the show. You know, when I worked at Howard, that was one thing. He he never really talked to the guest. In fact, he didn't talk to the guests before the show at all. Yeah. So everything was just fresh on air. That was, there was no, you know, no pre-interview like they do on most TV shows. He just, just go. And it's I think- you say that. Wow, that's interesting. Wow. Yeah, they didn't, because you'll see like on Fallon or any of these shows, they, they, there's always, even back in the day of Letterman and Leno, yeah. Johnny Carson, they always pre-interviewed the guests. So whether it was oh. them or the producer, they knew they kind of coached what they were going to say. We don't do that. We're just free for, yeah. you know, free for, and that's how it should be because you want to just hear it. You want to be spontaneous. I think a lot of people like and listen to Rob Carr of New Jersey said that he loves when you discover something because you always say that famous line. You say, "Why do you know that?" <laughs> it's but, genuine too. Like I really get excited that I didn't know that. Yeah. Completely genuine, and that, like you're discovering something along the way, and that's pretty cool to hear. You know? Yeah. You know what? When you talk about that too, and not interviewing the uh, the guest beforehand. So when I represented Shelby Kennedy, went through all that sexual abuse case. Uh, Oprah Winfrey had contacted us and wanted to get him on the show. Oh wow. And I always had this impression that she was very personable with the guests, you know, and really got into the stories. She would, she didn't talk to him at all uh, before the show or after. She just he was on the stage. She walked out, um, sat down, said hello, started the show, and then oh, he went on. He yeah. was on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He really was uh, looking back at it. I don't know if it's a smart thing to do or not because he still was had some therapy to do for himself sure. after all the stuff he'd been through. But he really wanted to get out there and try to make a difference with other people. Yep. and tell the story. So I think he did that, but I don't know if it really helped him that much. He's a whole different person. I see him speak now. And he's just so much more. He's just like, he's, he's cured. I guess cured is the right word or not, but he's just. Uh, well, he's, he's recovering from the trauma. Basically. Yeah. Oh man. That was, that was quite a time. I learned a lot from that whole situation. So like, people don't know that's Graham James abuse yeah. case. It happened when they were, they were juniors. It was Sheldon Kennedy, Theo Fleury and some other players. Yeah. yeah I started when Sheldon was 14 years old. Jesus. And now Graham James wound up going to prison, but for kind of a short time. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't really that long at all. I think it was at 16 months or something like that. And he'd done a lot of damage to kids. They, oh, they yeah. found him, um, I think a news station up in Canada found him down in Mexico. He was down there. So that was like, I, I knew nothing about abuse at that point. I remember, I'll never forget when Sheldon first called me and told me he'd been abused by his junior coach. I was like, I had no, I, luckily I was smart enough to just say, listen, I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. We'll get you the help you need. All right. Because I really, I had no clue what was I didn't know how often it happened, the damage it did to people. So, yeah. I, I think I think our attitudes back then was 
it was almost the victim's fault for oh and i think people thought you're less than a man if that happened yeah. to you but it's like wait a minute yeah. now we know that these are kids who were taking advantage on they were preyed on and they, it's none none of it is their fault you know and these these yeah. scumbags that do this stuff should, should be dealt with accordingly you know yeah sometimes people question the uh, the person that got abused because maybe they wait for a year or five years or 10 years or some cases 25 or 30 years but you just don't know their situation, what they're, you know, the people around them, you know, things they've been through, their personalities. Yeah. Think how horrible that is on, on you and on your, your mind and on your, yeah. everything about you. Like th there's no, you deal with that, how you deal with it. There's no right or wrong answer for that. And people like Graham James, that was his name, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Those, those people are horrible predators. They should have yep. no place in hockey or society or school rooms. It, right. you know. And I hate to say it like this, but they, they're intelligent like in a bad way but they really know how, who to pick on how to do it i think uh, cunning is a better word yeah I'm probably right yeah yeah you know they and they they prey on these people they're they're just they're smart and that they well, like you said intelligent they they know like who's got yeah. a broken family who doesn't have a, a parents both parents involved who's an easy mark yeah. and it's 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 terrible because i know i know in, in, in usa hockey and you coach too there's all safe sport and we yeah. get background checked and you have all these you know you have to report these things but i'm sure it still goes on in some places and that's horrible yeah, because especially like like in that situation for Sheldon, you know, he had a dream of playing in the National Hockey League. Yep. And Graham James at that time was this great young coach who was going to help him get to the National Hockey League. So Sheldon couldn't feel, didn't feel, excuse me, didn't feel like he could say anything because right. uh, this is going to ruin his chance to get the NHL. His mother probably would have brought him home. Uh, that would have stopped his NHL dream. His father would have thought that he was gay or beat him up or something. Yep. That's, you know, so that's and what these kids go through. It's all about the power imbalance. You know, yeah. these people, and it happened with the Blackhawks, with the video coach. Yeah. He had a certain level of power over these prospects, or at least they thought he did. Yep. And he held that against them and, and used it, uh, you know, to manipulate these guys. Was, so, one, was, was it one of you versus Michigan, the one doctor? Like, abused oh, my gosh. Hundreds he, of guys? Yeah. he oh, Girls, uh, yeah. gymnastics team, everybody. He was the Olympic uh, doctor. Yeah. And, of course, he threatened them, and, you know, they believed it because how— it's so hard if you, I, I've never been in that position. I can't imagine how hard that is. And the fact that we treated these people as they had something to do with it, it was kind of, uh, it's oh. kind of horrible oh, yeah. that that's the way it was. Now, now I think people know the difference. It's like, Hey, look, yeah. you know, but this, it's still a fear of those people, the people that get abused. They're, they're, how are people going to look at me? Are they going to think that I'm gay? We did, Sheldon did an interview with ESPN. I can't remember the reporter's name that did the interview. And he actually brought that up. He says, did, did you worry that you were, I can't remember how he phrased it, something with the term gay. Yeah. And I want to kill the guys. Well, you know, that's exactly what you don't want to hear. At least. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a valid question because that was the attitude that yeah. I think now people know that, look, it's not, you did nothing wrong. You did, you know, you, you, uh, it was, it was all on that person with the power and not on you as the yeah. kid or the employee or the, you know, the, the younger person in the situation. So it's just horrible, man. Yeah. Horrible. So not the way we want to start the show, <laughs> but it, it is important. Uh, yes. That, that stuff did happen and to acknowledge it and to, you know, if you have to a chance. To be aware and understand that it's happening right now out there. And oh, yeah. to not let your children be put in position, you don't put yourself in a position where sure. you can, so something can go wrong. And understand that there's other people out there too, like these other young kids that even if they're not your kids, you can still step in and help. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, you know, if you have any thoughts or suspicions, you know, do follow the steps that, you know, we're taught and we're trained to do and, and just do that. And I think Tom, you attribute to you is you did that, you handled that well, because you didn't have the answers for him. You had no idea yeah. what to do. Now he's your, you're his agent at the time, right? And he's coming. Right. To yeah. I just, he just hired me. Yeah. Yeah. And you said, but I think the, you, the, the thing you did best is it's almost like when someone passes away, like we don't have the answers, but we just, right. we just show up for them. We just be there for that person. And you said that to him. You said, look, I'm here with you. I got your back. 
Yeah. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you, but I got you, you know? Yeah. I think that's I think, yeah, great. That, it turned out that that was the best thing I could say to him. You know, he Absolutely. just needed to know that I wasn't going to go someplace. So, yeah. Oh, man, that was, he had me fly where I, and I went, flew out. He, at that time, he told his wife first, and he told me, and he had some uh, therapist out in Calgary. So I flew out there with him, sat there for about four hours with the therapist and Sheldon telling stories, like the actual graphic stories of what happened to him. Man, it, when I was done, I was drained. I was just like, man, he the stuff that I heard. I, seriously, it wasn't about me. It was just more listening to the stories. I had to go back mm-hmm. to the hotel room take a nap because I was just like, it was unbelievable. Now, stuff. now, now imagine the mental anguish and, yeah. and inter- internal torture that he went through dealing with that on a daily basis, you know? So the fact that it's turned it around so much, but, it, it, but even like with Theo Fleury, like he had his issues and dealt with, everyone says they have their demons and now we know what his demons were. They were, yeah. demons were his demons and they both yeah. dealt with it and good for them, you know? I think I think Theo yeah. Fleury's you know what's, sober 10 it's years. Good example. Yeah, it's a good example you bring up with Theo Fleury because uh, Sheldon went to him when he was going to go public with it and Sheldon, or excuse me, Theo was not ready to go public. With right. And he shouldn't be judged for that either. He just, it, no, he was different. There's no, there's no rules, you know, it's, you, you, it works for, it's, you're, everyone's on a different path and, but both of the, both of them are doing much better and yeah. obviously they'll deal with that forever, but they're becoming at least, and I know in Theo's case, he's becoming an advocate. He's speaking out against it. Yeah. He's, you know, he's, he's got so, himself. So Sheldon too. Yeah. I try to get a hold of Sheldon. You can't get, get he's one of the, he's got the agents all around him and everything. I mean that in a good way because he's out speaking all the time. Well, we'll all. get him. We'll get him on the show. Yeah. yeah. He's a good guy. Yeah. We went Absolutely. through yeah, to go through all that, man, I'll never forget being in the courtroom in Calgary when they were sentencing Graham James. So we're all in the courtroom together. Sheldon's there with his wife and family. Sure. I was there. Graham's just, man, the desire to step up and just yep. sucker Graham James is like, uh, it was it was, uh, it was pretty intense. Well, hopefully, you know, hopefully karma gets him yeah. because, uh, you know, just what a horrible, horrible piece of shit human being that is, you know, and, yeah. and I hope he gets everything coming. I'm sorry. Yeah, if I'm talking to therapists too, it's not always the case, but they think that a lot of the people that are the abusers are abused themselves. When they were yep. Not that that makes any difference. It doesn't make any, it doesn't make any difference. You, know, you get just, you know, you just break the cycle and, and yeah. you know, no offense, but fuck that guy. Yeah, no kidding. Man, that's no. sick stuff, man. The sick stuff. stuff. Talked about. Oh. But on to better things. Yeah, yes. we, ha- you know, we have a good show today. We have another podcast host. Just He's done all of life. So his wife is not a Spice Girl. We'll find that out. This year, we'll, we'll ask him. Why don't you ask him during the show if she's a Spice Girl? We'll do that. Why did I believe that she was a Spice Girl? I told you that. Right? Do you believe that? I don't know. We'll see. We'll have him clear it up in this episode coming up. It's not like you make things up ever, do it, right? I, I don't make things up. No, no, I don't think so. You're pretty honest. Forget that I said it. Forget that you told it. But this is going to be a great show. People can listen. You're very thorough. People can listen. Please like, share, follow, tweet, whatever the case is. Tell your friends. Listen to the show. Leave us a review on Apple. And if you want to get Tom to speak at your uh, your uh, event, the email fullchangepodcast at gmail.com. Or we can sing, we can dance, whatever you want to get done. I don't. This we though is is you. You can sing, you can dance, and you can do impressions. Multiple personalities. I'll, I'll just produce. Yes, there you go. Definitely, you definitely do. All right, everybody, enjoy the show. This is full change. With Tom Laidlaw. All right, Tom, we got a great guest today. He's a podcaster like you, ex NHL player, married to a famous non Spice Girl wife. Today we have Jason Padolin on the show. Get in. What's happening, dude? Hey, Mr. Laidlaw. How's it going? Yeah, yeah, good. Our podcasters here. Do you ever think we'd be doing podcasts? Oh, gosh. 
No. What was a podcast? <laughs> no, exactly. Right. Yeah. So yeah, you got all the equipment going on, everything. Good job. I sound okay. Yeah, you sound really good. Excellent. Perfect. Okay. A lot of guys don't sound that good. So, excellent. So you met Tom Smith uh, over IG message. Yes. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. So we met out in Spokane, Washington. You're playing for the Spokane Chiefs, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, I, Tom did some research here too. I found out that uh, you had Mike Babcock as a coach out there. I sure did. How was that? Uh, it was fine. I mean, he was uh, he was up and coming, right? You know, like we all kind of are in that in that space. Yeah. And uh, it was a second go at it uh, as far as the WHO is concerned. I think he started with Brandon, maybe. Uh, I think it was Moose Jaw. Moose Jaw, right. Moose Jaw. And then went to Lethbridge, University of Lethbridge. Then he came to us. And um, so we didn't know m- much about him, nor nor could you back in those days, right? There, You couldn't really research anybody. But no, Babs came in and he, I've been asked that question before. Like he was legitimately the best coach I probably played for. Right. Um, when it came to just overall kind of hockey IQ, his preparedness, um, you know, his practice tempo, uh, all of that was 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 pretty top shelf. Um, you don't know it at the time, obviously playing in the WHL. But after ten years of pro, I was like, oh, you know, he he yeah. he knew what he was doing. Uh, right. I will say, I mean, there was there was a confidence to him uh, that I could see how that could have turned into a bit of arrogance, which it seemed like it kind of did. You know what I mean? As things got going, I mean, I I, I haven't talked to him in ten years. I mean, I can't speak from that personally, but. Uh, there was a little bit of an air to him, you know. I, I think that was probably why he was good at what he did too. But, uh, but yeah, no, he was he, he was he was prepared. He was he was uh, he was ready to go, and uh, he definitely got the most out of out of us as a group. Yeah, I think he was always trying to prove that he was the smartest guy in the room, right? <laughs> well, I think like I think the whole thing with the cameras and the pictures and everything is like okay, this was a new thing that nobody else thought about, so I'm gonna do it. Right. That was yeah. That was a bit strange that that was. Uh, yeah, can you imagine if a coach came in and asked to see your pictures in your phone? Wow. Well, it's just so, I mean, it, it is weird. Like, that's weird to begin with. And then just, like, because Mike's not unintelligent. It, it just yeah. seems, like, that yeah. to me is just such a weird thing for him to think is a good idea with his with his history, you know? Yeah. Like, that, that that didn't come across as maybe being the wrong place in the wrong time, you know? But I know, it's weird. When you first think about it, you go, what? Like, it's so strange. You think, well, who would even think of doing that? Like, it's... So you got your podcast going now. Up your hockey. Up my hockey. Up yeah. my hockey. You, you just get started. Yeah, you were on it. That's right. Yes, yes, that's right. That yeah, you were a guest good. back in, uh, geez, probably yeah, a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. You're one of my one of my earlier guests, and uh, yeah, that was a that was a good episode actually. Yeah, that was probably one of the most viewed ones. Me being on, of course. <laughs> yeah, I've always liked you a lot. I always thought you were an intelligent <laughs> man. Okay, I'm going to give you a hard time here, and I didn't. I think you did it last time. Your wife was she one of the Spice Girls? Is that my wife? Was? No, she's um, she was a member of Nobody's Angels, though. Oh, Nobody's Angel was uh, was a girl band back, geez, nineties, I guess, nineties oh. girl band. Uh, they were they were um, ran by Disney. Disney was their like they were a Disney girl group, oh. and yeah, they I mean they did well. They, they they actually they wanted them back for another uh, album deal, and it kind of whatever. It just it just sort of fell apart. But and when it did fall apart, which is kind of interesting, she was asked to be a pussycat doll and um, oh, okay. and, and join that group. But she never did that either. She was more into acting and dancing, and singing wasn't really her thing. But okay, I got to ask you a question. She's a very attractive woman. I mean, you're not a very good one guy. I mean, what what happened there? Well, that's you mean it, I'm I'm so gifted uh, orally, right? <laughs> um, get to uh, get good to anchor. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's funny. I mean, how many kids do you have? You know what, though? We should re- you want to talk about my wife. So, so that's yeah. actually a, a good, I know this isn't hockey related, but right. so I, I met her after we, like after I was done playing. So she'd never seen me play hockey before. I was coming back from uh, the bar that I own in Fort McMurray. And, uh, and she was in the airport uh, gate. She was, she was flying to, to Kelowna as well. And I was flying to Kelowna. We, we were in Calgary. So uh, I, I saw her obviously. And I'm like, Oh, cute blonde girl by herself. So I, I positioned myself, you know, across the, uh, across the aisle from her and had some smart ass remarks. She was eating chocolate and, you know, said something stupid and, and got her laughing. And, and so we chatted and you'll love this story, Tommy. So I'll, uh, and it kind of ties into what I do now too. So I actually made a pretty good segue. Uh, we have this conversation, it's going great. Um, and, and the plane's boarding though now, right? So we've kind of talked, I don't know, like let's say it 10 minutes, right? And we're walking to the gate together where the last one's on the, on the flight. And, uh, and it was kind of one of those scenarios where we wanted to, I asked her, Hey, would you want to sit beside each other? And she said, yeah, I mean, I would be down, I'd be into that. And so we asked the, the flight attendant there that was checking us in, if we could get our seats changed. And, and she said, no, it's a completely full flight. You know, there's, there's no room anywhere. Sorry, we can't change your, your tickets. So that was kind of a downer because I, it wasn't really early enough. I thought it was too early to ask for a number. In other words, right. I was like, I can't really ask for a number. And I was like, okay, well, nice to talk with you, you know, have a good flight and best of luck in Kelowna. She was going up to judge a dance competition up there. So as I go back to my, I go back to my seat at the, at the back of the plane and she had her, her, her seat, like specifically picked. She was a, she was a frequent traveler. So she knew she wanted to be in the aisle. She likes to be at the front so she can get off quickly. And she told me all this. And so anyways, I sit down, the door's closed and lo and behold, like there's one seat beside me, uh, at the back of the plane, right? There's, that's the only seat in the whole plane. And I'm like, well, holy shit. I, I can do I go up there now? Like one, I'm breaking the yeah. rules because the door's already closed and I'm supposed to be in my seatbelt. Two, it's yeah. a massive walk of shame if I go up there and like everyone hears what I'm asking her, right? She oh, could totally good. say that's no. Good. I like and, this. Uh, and I and you know my old man. So my old man's voice was in the back of my head. He's like, You never know if you don't ask. You know, he said yeah, that about like anything. Nice. Anyways, I go up there, uh, ask her. She graciously says yes, she'd like to come back and Anyways, we dated for like a, a year long distance and now she's my wife. But if I wouldn't have walked up there and asked yeah, that question, yeah. it would have been done. Right. And, and so one of the things I talk about with my players is here's the segue is like fear of other people's opinion. Like a lot of times we have such a fear of that as hockey players or as, you know, just humans. And I was like, I got over the fact of like, who cares, right? Who cares if, if cool. I'm, if I'm the laughing stock walking back here, maybe she'll say yes. And so anyways, the rest is history. That's a great life story. Seriously. To now use it as an example. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's pretty cool too that she said yes because she's assigned she get that seat for a certain reason and she's giving it up to go back there with you wow good job right. stud man stud I must have looked better back then who knows uh, and how many kids do you have three three boys all playing hockey ah uh, very good so your podcast said up my hockey you talked a lot of motivational stuff with players and is that what you're doing um I don't know I mean motivational may be the wrong word maybe the opposite like uh well it is I guess motivational in its own way but I think why my episodes are kind of timeless is because like whatever I'm talking about, it, it tries to be more about the journey that the guy was on, you know, not necessarily, uh, all the wins and the accolades, but I, I find that most ways to success, there, there's always some type of trial or tribulation or challenge, which is essentially the defining moment of that player, you know? And so how, how do you get through that? How, what was your approach, you know, and, and, and kind of breaking those things down and, 
in the in the go deep kind of way, right? Like multi-layered yeah. questions. Like I, I love diving into something, so it's just not a one response answer, and we kind of go deeper and deeper. And I think that's where where the value is for me, at least. That's what excites me. Like I love that aspect, like the personal development, psychological a- aspect of of the game. I think that there's so much more than the physical skills of the hockey player that allows them to get to where they're going. And so those are the things that I try to uncover. It's very true, right? The guys that are very successful usually have had something happen. They've done something wrong. And coming out of that, they become better people and better players because they've had to fight through all that stuff. And that's true. Very cool. Very cool. And you had uh, Thomas saying, well, you had Shane Doan on recently. That's a good get. Yeah, Shane Doan. Patrick Marlowe was was on recently too. So yeah, like two really obviously big name, long time, you know, uh, respected NHLers. So those were really fun conversations. And, and yeah, to my point with those guys, like I didn't talk to, we, we barely even talked about Patty's career really, or donors, right. It was more about like development and how to develop and, you know, kind of our, our philosophies about that. So they were probably for the Shane Doan and Patrick Marlowe fans out there. If there is any listening to on your show, like you're going to hear a side to them that, you know, you probably haven't heard before, which is uh, pretty interesting in my opinion. Yeah, Patrick, I was in the Asian business. Uh, you know that, obviously. Tom's always making fun of me because I see that. 20, 22 years. Uh, I went to recruit Patrick Marlowe and seeing him do a podcast now, he didn't talk at all before. He, he, was, he was quiet. Like, it was painful. You're trying to recruit him and he wouldn't even have a conversation with him. He's a really nice person, but he was uh, not pretty interesting. He yeah, he was, uh, yeah, he's one of those guys, obviously, you remember because um, his rookie year was my last year in the WHL. I, I think he was uh, 79 born. I was 76. And, uh, boy, he could skate, right? It was just one of those guys that, I mean, he could skate and, uh, and you just recognize that from a 16 year old on. I mean, I, I don't know if anyone thought he would play 1700 games or whatever the heck he ended up playing, but, uh, you definitely saw that he was, he was a good one coming up. That's for sure. So where were you born and raised? Vernon, BC. That's right. Vernon, BC. That's beautiful out there. There's a bunch of guys from there too. Wasn't Dallas Drake and a bunch of other guys are from uh, well, there is quite a few guys. I mean, Al Strick, I think, played for the Vipers um, or the Lakers, I think, at the time. I think he was from here, but Dave Oliver played there then, too. And um, we have Jeff Finley and Brent Gilchrist and uh, Matt Higgins came through here. Brad Larson was from Vernon. Uh, there's a lot of guys that ended up kind of like retiring out here, you know, after because why not? You know, so there's there's quite a there's quite a few hockey players um, that have relocated here. So, yeah, it's a pretty good hockey area for sure. Now, are you a pretty good player when you started playing? Yeah, I mean, I was one of those, I kind of, which is interesting for me in the podcast and what I do. Um, well, you saw me at 16, 17, yeah. reg. that was kind of, I was one of the guys, you know, like from a young age that was recognized as as being one of the best. You know, me and Jeff Friesen were, were one of, or two of three, I think, uh, 76 is listed at 13 years old to the WHL. You know, I think the story's told, like I think 14 or 15 of the WHL teams put in to list me at that age, so... You know, like from a from a pretty young age, you know, I was I was a pretty accomplished player. We we moved out to Alberta to play Major Bantam out there, uh, which was recognized as one of the best leagues probably in Canada, um, if, if not Canada, like Western Canada for sure. You know, Darcy Tucker was there at the time, and Jerome McGinley, and you know these players, and you know that was uh, as a first year Bantam, I led that league in scoring. Well, actually, Mark Hurley would get mad at me for saying that. Mark Hurley actually beat me by one point on my. He was a teammate of mine. Uh, he played three more games but anyways you get the point right so there was kind of it was sort of this trajectory for me that I just thought that I was definitely going to be an NHLer for a long time you know like that was kind of what I wanted that was what the plan was and that was uh that was where all kind of signposts were pointing to that that was what was going to be happening oh I remember in the age business following you around yeah you're you're one of the guys everybody talked about all the time 
And so you're you're drafted by who in the NHL? Florida. That's right, Florida Panthers. That's right. I don't know if you want to go there or not. No, like that's no, one thing cool. that I cover now too. Like with the players, is like boy, like there's there's so many things that happen, right? You know, as a player, which obviously I know you know you, you played forever, uh, but. It, like that draft year was super, super interesting for me, just with the coaching aspect. And that's one of the things, you know, when I'm talking about, when I say that I help players with mindset, like I, I, I translate that into, you know, your off, your off ice on ice relationships is part of that too, right? Like yeah. how do you manage those and, and, and what's the right way to do it? And how do you create a, a solid relationship with your coach? Like that was one thing that I completely underestimated as a player is, is those, those relationships, you know, so like I was just, sorry to interrupt you. Do you think you should be creating that relationship with the coach or make more of an effort to do that? I 100% believe that. Yeah. yeah. But I believe it like the way I teach it is more in a, like a definite authentic way to your personality type. Like it can't be contrived and like, you know, whatever Brown nosing your way in there. But, you know, I, I think that when players are genuinely curious about who's around them, you know, like if you're my coach, like I would like, I should want it. I should know your story. I should know where you were. I should be able to be curious about, hey, the people you played with. What you I mean, like one, because that's just good human relationship work, you know. And two, there's things that you know that I don't know that I should be asking you questions about. Sure. And then the more those things happen, the more curious and genuine you are. Like you start to want to be a part of my journey too, right? Like that just surreptitiously happens, right? Yeah. Just because of the way it works and, um. You know, for me on a personal level, for whatever reason, like there was always a divide. Like I felt like it was the players versus the coaches and not yeah. the coaches and players together. And I kind of, I think looking back, I kind of had a chip on my shoulder a little bit, like just with that. Um, and I don't think it helped by any stretch of the imagination. And and not that that was the case with Brian Maxwell, which was where my story was going to go. But there was, you know, even the idea of like parental involvement, which, you know, like how, how involved my dad was. And, you know, with all the best intentions in the world, but there, you know, and I know there was a lot of scenarios where that didn't help me as a hockey player. And the one for sure was with Brian Maxwell. And, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to fight for a draft position and have a really great year. And yet, you know, you're not understanding why you're not on the ice as much as maybe you should be. And you're watching your draft stock fall and, you know, all these things that go along with that. And uh, that's a lot to manage for a seven. Well, I remember like with Brian Maxwell, he was that old school guy. Like he did not want the father in, talking didn't matter what it was more like he wanted to talk to the player if at all i don't even think see i'm i'm kind of surprised but pleasantly surprised that you take that attitude uh, maybe it's me being old school where a lot of the coaches there was no relationship like that zero you didn't talk to him yeah yeah so do you think coaches would be more maybe more receptive to that now to with the player i think they'd even be receptive to that then to be honest like as far as like a player you know asking questions and like you know wanting whatever to glean information get better you know i mean what do i need to do like i I think that there was you know our culture i mean my my call i guess i was a bit of a generation kind of before you and it was even more school probably when you were there but yeah there was that culture of you know you wait to be talked to for sure right if you're talked to at all there was like very little communication between coach and player in any aspect it depends on who your coach was and, um, and yeah, Maxie was as old school as they got. I mean, he was also one of the best coaches though, that I had too, to be quite frank, like it, him and Babcock, I was really blessed in that area. Like he taught me more about the game than probably anyone else did really to be, you know, as far as like the details of the game and how to play defense properly and positioning and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, he was hard. I mean, he was super hard and like, you know, he made you tough and I didn't really have any issue with that. I just didn't really, in my own personal experience, I didn't understand 
why I was kind of always on the outside looking in with him. And I couldn't really see the aspect that I think it was probably less about me as a player and more about my, my dad's involvement with telling him from the outside what he was supposed to do. And then it was like, uh, you know, an alpha male contest and I was sort of caught in the middle, which was unfortunate. So with your dad then, uh, knowing what you know now, would you have gone to your father and say, listen, let me handle it. I'll, I'll take care of it. Well, I did. And that was kind of a little bit of a personal thing between dad and I, that was sort of a wedge. And I'm not, quite honestly, like it's still something that dad, like dad thinks that he let me handle it too much because he oh. thought I should have, he should, I, he thought I should have left. Like he, there was multiple times where he was like borderline going to go into the Spokane chief dressing room, pack my bag and get me out of there, like demand to trade. Wow. Um, and so we had some, some pretty heated exchanges and I said, no, I'm going to see this thing through. Uh, I want to figure this out. And, uh, and that year, like Maxie ended up resigning. I still don't know the whole story of that. Like there, there is some, there, some aspect has to do with me for sure. I know that, but I don't know to what, to what extent, but it was like right before a game, um, that he, that he, like he walked into the room and he resigned like, like five minutes before we were going to go out on the ice. Wow. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, it was really quite, quite a strange, strange scenario. And, and then we had a new coach come in and things kind of got better, but it was, you know, but they didn't. And, uh, anyway, so m my dad still thinks that he should have been more involved and, and didn't respect my opinion as much, but yet back to the point that we talked about earlier, I mean, whether that necessarily helped me or hurt me as a player, I don't really know. I know that year hurt my draft year, you know, which hurts things. But like, I'm really proud of the way I handled that. Like as a 47 year old man, looking back on 17 year old Jason, like to, to weather that storm, you know, yeah. to keep showing up, to keep trying to figure it out, to not take the easy way out. You know, like I think that gave me, I don't know, I, I, I gained some credibility with myself that I can handle tough things in, in doing that, you know? And, um, and yeah, at least I have that, to to look in the mirror and say, Hey, you know what? I didn't take the easy way. Yeah. Well, Maxie was tough too. I mean, I, I played for Maxie in LA, got to know him a little bit in the agent business when he was coaching there. Did you have Mike Barnett as an agent at that time? I did, yep. And did you talk to him about this? Well, not as much as I should have. Right. And, you know, I don't know. It, it That's another kind of, I mean, I, I don't know what the agent business is like now, um, but I did need, I, I should have had a little more help, I think, with that scenario, to be yeah. to be quite frank. Um, and it wasn't necessarily there. And, and I don't know if it's like anything to point fingers at Mike Barnett, um, because I don't know what I told him at the time. Or I don't know what I, you know, said to him at the time. So I, I don't know what he knew. And also he was a busy guy and, you know, I mean, there's things that go on and I don't know. I think the communication in general back in those days probably wasn't where it should be. So you're putting a lot of this on your shoulders then that you, you should, you should have been a better communicator at 17 years old. Well, I, I think that's the only way that you move forward and, and, uh, and feel like you're in control of anything. And that's kind of the thing I try and teach my players is, you know, there's going to be scenarios that are out of your control. Like, as we know, like there's the opportunity does matter. You I mean, I do believe you create your opportunity and I do, and I do encourage my players to like control everything they can to increase those chances. But at the end of the day, you know, I mean, some guys get more than others, right? Some guys get a longer opportunity than others. You yeah. know, like there's, there is things that happen there that are sometimes out of your control, depending on the organization or who's going to bat for you. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tom, like if you don't do that, then like, you just, I think you just end up playing the victim game and, you know, for yeah. me and, you know, this, that, and the other. So, you know, at 17, is that a lot to ask? <laughs> yeah, it is a lot to ask. I mean, I think I was capable and I you know I think I could have done a better job at it. Um, and learning from it now. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely teach players that I'm with to build, build a support team that is like on your side that it's not you against the world, you know, which is kind of the, the mentality that I had sometimes. And, 
Um, and yeah, it's okay to, it's okay to ask for help. And I think when you do, you mean you, you actually are bringing people to your cause, right? Like people that want to be around you. And I think that's super helpful and needed. I really love this conversation because, you know, I think back when we first started the conversation, I'll be honest, once he's a 17 year old, is he going to do that? Well, we're not going to do it because we were never told how to do it. Right? Like that's what you're doing. You're teaching yeah. the 17 year olds. Okay. It is all right to ask for help. You're not less of a man. Build that support team. Get to know your coach. Have a relationship. Because if you think about it, it's human nature. If that coach thinks, well, this kid really cares about me as a person, then he's going to care more about you too. Right? Yeah. Very cool. And also like the idea of like sharing what you want. Like, I think that's like, and again, this is, this, again, I, I call it mindset because I think it's easier for people to understand. But like, I, at the end of the day, I really think it's like personal development, like mindset 2.0. Yeah. And, and if you, if you're brave enough or if you've crystallized what this thing is that you want, and let's say that's, you know, an NHL career, right? If that's what you want and you want to get there and you're willing to do things to allow yourself to get there and you vocalize that, like, coach, yeah. this is what I, this is the player I want to be. This is what I want. Like, and I'm willing to do whatever it is. Like, how can you help me on this? Like, like that excites me. Yeah. When someone comes to me and says that, that excites me. Like, I want that guy to succeed. And, and I'm, you're not in your head there and I'm sure you are too. And again, like that's human nature. If you're a coach of a junior team, like, do you not want your players to succeed? Do you not want to be a part of that? And of course, like some are going to stand out above the others in that scenario too, because there is 20 guys on that team. Right. So, yeah. you know, it's not necessarily like you pick favorites, but it's just a natural thing that's going to happen. And, and, uh, you know, I've had conversations. I mean, that's one of the things I love about the podcast, whether it's you know, a player development guy or whether it's an assistant coach or a GM or, or a head coach, like there are guys that you actually just want the best for yeah. sometimes more than others. Like a guy that comes to mind is, uh, Brett Hayden, um, uh, Stanley cup winner there for, uh, for Vegas. Yeah. He made the Rangers over those other guys because they liked him more. Like Dave Oliver specifically said that he's like, he was a guy that we were sure. all rooting for. He, yeah. he was a good kid came from a good family. He did things the right way. He worked his tail off in practice. There was probably guys there that were equally skilled, potentially better than, but they chose him, right? And kept him there. Like, and that's to my point, right? There's the opportunity. And he, he was the first one to admit, I don't know if I should have got as much opportunity as I, as I got, you know, and why? Because of the personal connection. Right. Well, you think about the respect you'd have to a 17 year old boy walks into your office, closes the door and sits down and starts having a conversation with you about what he, what his dreams and goals are. Then right. when that kid walks out of the room, you go, wow, that kid's got some character. I mean, you hear that all the time. But yeah. And especially in this day and age when mom and dad want to do it even yeah. more for the yeah. kid, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, you pick up the own phone or you write your own email or do whatever, like you're already standing out as somebody that's yeah. like, you know, has, has whatever, the maturity, you know, the, whatever word you want to use there, the character. And a lot of guys are starting to build teams around the inside dressing room yeah. out, you know, not outside of the dressing room in. Um, those are the kind of guys you want in your locker room. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And 
Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, we had Jim Kite, former defenseman on the Winnipeg Jets. He was cool. He called it the snowplow parents. They always want to clear out the way for the kids, right? So everything's fine. And the kids got to fight through himself. And that's when I was in the agent business, I would try to, part of the reason I was lost some clients was if a player like you came to me and said, listen, I'm having a problem with the coach, I would say, listen, okay, I can walk in there, but it's not going to help you me walking in that way. It's got to be you walking in. Here's what you need to say in your words. Here's what you need to say. You've got to handle it. And some people, as the agent business got a little nastier, people would say, well, Laidlaw doesn't want to do a job for well, I am doing my job for you. I'm giving you proper advice instead of me walking in and trying to save the day. You've got to do it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So when you started your podcast, did you like intentionally, this is the topic that you wanted to work on? You wanted to talk about? Um, well, I, I, I went in, I went in off of like a, with a big push and a shove. Um, I, it wasn't like this was my idea. It was actually somebody that I was working with. I was getting into the space and and he recognized in me, he thought like a skill. He's like, you're really, you're, you're a good speaker. He's like, you ask good questions. You have a great hockey network. He's like, podcasts are, you know, are, are, are a thing. I think you should start one. And I was, um, and maybe you had, maybe you had the same reservations. I don't know, but I mean, there are calls. Well, no, Tom was, Tom was being such a pain in the ass. I had to do it again. Man, I mean, like, we're kind of taught not to stand out, right? Yeah. So, like, th- th- there was all those, like, self-deprecating self-talk, like, who wants to listen to me? What do I have to yeah. say? Like, you know, blah, 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 right? And another thing is, like, get out of your own way sometimes and just and just go. Yeah. And uh, and that was kind of where I was. And, and like, I kind of joked that, like, good thing I'm coachable, right? Because I was like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll give this a whirl and yeah. see how it goes. And, um, and as much as there is whatever. I mean, there's a lot of work to the podcast, especially yep. when I'm kind of producing, I'm doing a lot of the things myself, like the conversations themselves absolutely like light me up. You know what I mean? Yep. I really do enjoy the conversations. I think that they're super nourishing and, uh, and serve me in a lot of ways. And they're a great way to provide value to my audience, uh, you know, with, on, in a free, in a free standpoint, they don't have to pay for, I think there's tons of gold nuggets there, but, yeah. um, I, I don't know if I go in with the plan, Tom, like to, to be, to answer your question, like I, I try and be, very curious and naturally uh curious so i don't do much research like i I maybe have the hockey db and then the conversation just goes wherever it goes you know and generally speaking just because of how i'm aligned like that's generally where i end up right like somewhere some way along the way we sort of dig into some of these some of these moments and uh and figure they how they did it well i think that's the best way i don't like to do research either i want to get to know you right in front of everybody else the whole audience you know ask the questions learn about up my hockey We've had some fantastic guests. We've done what over seventy shows now, and uh, we've had some guests on that like the stories are telling, like you know, attempted suicides, and what's the guys are doing about it now, and how they're helping other people. I didn't really anticipate that that was going to happen. It was more of me like learning about the player and his background growing up and what he's doing after the game. But we really got into uh, some guys. We had uh, I don't know, tell it publicly because he talked about it. We had Mike Allison on the other day. I played with him in New York and Los Angeles. And we both had Herb Brooks as a coach uh, and Herb, I was one of Herb's boys. So I didn't, I was treated, well, I, he treated me like a jerk, but it was playing all the time. So I just didn't pay attention to it. Uh, but Mike Allison talked about how he um, actually thought about suicide because uh, Herb was so bad with him. So it's uh, like to hear you talk about this stuff, how you're talking to young kids, they helps in a lot of ways, not just in their performance, the, the mental health and everything, but you really helping them with their lives too. Right? Like really making a difference. It's very cool. Well, yeah, I mean, one of the ways I, I, I like to separate it because mental health is definitely 
like th- that connotation. And when people hear that, I, I don't know what you think or what people think, but when I, when I hear that it's, it's usually like how you're talking about, like depression, suicide, like make sure that we take care of people. And, and those are super, super important conversations. And, uh, and for me, like with what I say with mindset, like I talk more about mental fitness and, and like, that's kind of my take on it because I believe like mental fitness applies to 99% of the teams that I walk into and that I'm coaching, like how, how to understand that you're empowered, how to be able to take pause in certain situations and understand you have decisions that you can make in those situations that make you feel like you're in control. A lot of times the people like get going down that, that spirals, they don't, they feel out of control. They don't feel like they have any control. They don't know where their value is. And so I think when you, when you build these athletes, uh, build their mental fitness, like the mental health generally ends up taking care of itself. You know what I mean? If somebody is in that state, that's not for me, that's for a sports psychologist or a counselor or whatever, right. That's, that's contemplating some of these awful things that these, that these kids end up doing. Um, but I do believe that if you give them a skill set, less of them get to that spot. So that's kind of where, where I feel that I come in and, and empowering these athletes to, you know, to, to understand their worth and understand how to, how to feel confident in, in multiple situations. Right. How do you think your mental health and your physical health are tied together? Um, well, <laughs> I forget one of, one of these, uh, one of these social influencers, I can't remember which one he said, uh, he said, show me, go get a six pack and then tell me you're depressed <laughs> and kind of tongue in cheek. Right. But I mean, sometimes that is, I mean, sometimes there's a direct connection there. I, I just interviewed, uh, uh, Lovecchio from hockey think tank. And, and he said like working out for him, like was one of the biggest game changers for him you know, he, he helps athletes in the gym, you know, he's a little bit of a holistic, uh, developer himself, but he said on a personal level, like once he got strong and, and muscles, like it, it was, it was definitely a confidence builder for him. You know I mean? It helped him in hockey, helped him off the ice. So yeah, I mean, that would be, uh, and not that, not that again, I'm, uh, I would say a professional in the mental health space, but you I mean, if, if, uh, if you're not physically proud or if you're not physically in shape and, and there's some some issues, um, you know, mentally, like maybe depression or whatever, I would definitely, uh, suggest that'd be one of the first things to point to. So you talk about your players that you work with, are you coaching teams or individuals or both? Both. Yeah, both. I, um, I work with individuals and then, uh, I also work with teams. Actually the, uh, my hockey business growth plan is, uh, actually to service associations and academies, which is, uh, in the process of happening. So from the U11, U13, U15, like U18, all the way up that they, their, uh, their personal development programming and their mental fitness programming grows, grows with them as, as they progress through the association. Uh, but yeah, I mean, teams, I mean, I actually like all aspects of it. Teams is really awesome because talking about the stuff that, you know, we've kind of dipped our toe into here. Like when we talk about that in a team environment, right? Like that, that now these discussions are happening on a, on a personal level, like it's like team bonding 2.0, you know, when you're understanding like the emotional state and like recognizing that and knowing how to support a player, or even recognizing that, you know, somebody in the locker room, like their, their pregame prep is, is getting owly and getting mean in their locker room. They don't talk to anyone where somebody needs to be dancing and singing in the middle of the floor. Like, you know, like the, the, that aspect and the recognition of that is, is, is quite, is quite powerful, you know, when, when it's the collective and, and even when it comes to practice habits and deliberate practice, understanding how to develop your own game within the team system. And anyways, there's really, there's some cool concepts that we cover and, uh, and there's, there's some pretty explosive growth on the individual and team level when you're working with teams. So I totally like that. Obviously when you're diving deep on an individual and, and talking with them and, and applying that, you know, what, what we're working on off the ice to how that's now, uh, showing up on the ice is, is, is really, uh, 
it was, that's something that, that makes me smile too, because there's some pretty big benefits there. Right. I'll tell you, this has been a total, total compliment. You've come a long way. The way you speak now, even compared to last time we were on the show, I mean that totally. You've done a good job really improving yourself the way you present too. That's cool. Good Thank job. you. Uh, so how can people get a hold of you there if they want to want to hire you? Oh, well, up my, up my hockey.com is my website. So, I mean, that's a good place to reach out. I'm on Instagram, mostly for social media, um, for the parents out there that are listening that have an athlete, I have a Facebook group on Facebook called the up my hockey parent group. It's got over 2,500 parents in it now from all across North America, even some in Europe. And, and, uh, that's a really cool community that we've created. And, and yeah, I mean, just about, I mean, hockey's Hockey's tough, you know, like, especially from the parents' side. I think we forget that, Tom, you know, as far as us going through it. And yeah. then now I have boys going through it. And it, it's, it's challenging for me to navigate. And I spend my whole life doing it. You know, like for somebody that hasn't been in team sports or hasn't been in professional sports or understand the hockey aspect itself and trying to find the, the proper place for your player or hand to handle some of these scenarios that we've already discussed, right? Like that's challenging. So we put that together more as like, um, it, it's a free spot. Like you have to, you have to be approved to come in. Obviously you have to have the kids that are in the system and, and it's just a community, a support community about how to handle some of these different situations. And obviously it's a place where I can share what I do with, without my hockey and, um, and, and develop, develop the, the game that way. So do you teach the parents about how not to be crazy? Sometimes. Yeah. It's a big job. Yeah. I've never talked about before. He's got young, a young son to place. And, uh, and we all know that parents love their kids, right? So they want the best for them. But something happens when they walk in that hockey rink, man. They just, that switch goes off. And, yeah. Hey, Jason, let's, I just want to go back to your career really quickly. So you're drafted by uh, Florida. How long did you play there? Well, I'll play there. I mean, I I was the last cut three years in a row, two years in a row out of junior. So, like, it was, was sent home late, um, almost made the team twice. And then my rookie year pro, so 20 years old, uh, again, was the last guy to go. I, I don't know. I, I never really did dissect that ever very much, but ended up starting in the minors and, uh, had a really good start in the minors and they called me up. So I played, I think it was 19 games with Florida as a rookie. Uh, and then that was when they had just come off that Stanley cup run. So they, they played, uh, they played Colorado. I was the black ace for, for that, for that time w- was with them, traveled through them with the playoffs. Uh, and that was that was the, when they were trying to make another push, right? So it was a trade deadline. They, they were still in the playoff hunt. They thought they had a team and, and they traded me for Kirk Muller, uh, to the, to the Maple Leafs. So I was really only with Florida as far as a pro for like a half a season, but I was with them for, you know, whatever, two or three years in their, in their system prior, prior to that. Kirk Muller is a pretty good player. Did you think, okay, that's, that's a pretty good sign. Like I know when I got traded, I wanted to know why I got traded for a good player. Were you feeling good about your game at that point? Well, yeah, that was a, I mean, that was a really good sign. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, he was their assistant captain at the time, right? I mean, obviously a long tenured guy, he was the captain of the Maple Leafs, I mean, of the Habs at one point. So yeah, I mean, yeah, he was a heck of a hockey player and, and had been around a long time. And, uh, and yeah, for me to, for me to get, get moved, that was, that was definitely a good thing. The, the, I don't know if there was a, a, the biggest problem that arised actually from the whole thing was, yeah, I mean, one, I wish I would have played better, um, with the trade, but again, Tom, like, holy smokes, like there 20, I think I just turned 21. So first year pro first time, you know, whatever in your own house, you know, vehicles up and down, you know, the, the, the moving with, 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 uh, Florida and then getting traded. I, I was asleep in my bed in Greensboro, North Carolina, which is not a hockey hotbed by any stretch of the imagination. And if you can remember back, like, I didn't even know it was the trade deadline, like how the world's changed now. Right. Like I was just ready for a game. 
and um and bill tory calls me or uh, brian murray I think, and tells me he traded me like it was a like minute and a half conversation thanks for your time right um cliff fletcher will be calling you shortly so like i'm i barely woke up and i'm like what is this for real and then cliff fletcher calls me and i was on a flight three hours after that phone call to toronto to play the philadelphia flyers the next day right like i i barely had time to pack like like so talk about a whirlwind right and you're traded for kirk muller you're going to the toronto maple leafs like the report like the the news conference the next like it was all craziness right like craziness and um and who's there like who's there for like i mean i i had a minute conversation with mike murphy when i showed up like all i'm trying to say is you're figuring it out you know i mean you're you got your big boy pants on and you're figuring it out and and um and i think i did pretty well like i played pretty well i had some pretty good opportunity there puck wasn't going in you know like um just again like you know hockey goes sometimes it goes in sometimes it doesn't and um so i didn't like establish establish myself like i i definitely felt i played well enough to be in the nhl when i was there but i wasn't like you know whatever i didn't have seven goals in 15 games you know or nine games or whatever right and uh and then sure enough that summer guess who gets fired by cliff fletcher so you know ugm comes in as they always want to do they want to have their own blueprint whatever and right from the get-go with mike smith for whatever reason like i just wasn't his guy and uh i don't think anybody was, was he was a jerk like, too yeah uh, he was a jerk he was a jerk well, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. You know what's funny? Like, Tom, like, I it, I can say this now, like, and, and it's super humbly, but, like, you talk about the opportunity. Like, I was 22 in the AHL, and I scored 48 goals that year, and Toronto wasn't a playoff team, and I got three games up. Like, I led the league in goals. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that would never happen now either. Like, it was just so weird stuff yeah. that was going on. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, so that trade I thought was going to be really good. It actually turned out not to be good. Right. Um, I loved my time in St. John's, Newfoundland. Like, I really did. I had really oh. great years there. But it's a crappy place to play if you want to get recognized. Yeah, no one's there, yeah, ever. It's true. You know what I mean. Yeah. So that was tough. Um, but anyways, whatever. You I mean such as hockey? That it's not the. Sometimes it goes for you. So it, how many years in the Toronto organization? Then? <clears throat> two and a half. Two and a half, I think. And then I got traded again at the deadline. Uh, that time to the LA Kings for Yannick Perot, which was another good player. And that was yeah. the year that I was having that really good season. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, went to went to LA. That was. I've told how, how deep you want to go with, uh, yeah, let's go. Come on. Let's go. Well, the, the one which at the time you don't even really recognize. And that was where like the agent side of things and people don't really get that. So I, I get traded from Toronto. It was the last year of my entry level deal. Right. And I had a, I had deletion clause to make my contract a one way if I played 40 games in the NHL in my entry level deal. Right. right. So, they trade when they trade me. They put me down in Long Beach. I I I just thought, okay, I'm going to be in Long Beach, fine. You know, what I mean, I I didn't really think about why until I understood that they called me up when there was whatever it was. I think five games left in LA's season, which brought me to 39 games. The National Hockey League. Yeah, right. So like, very very intentional by them, right? So they brought him to 39 games. I played the last five games there, and then my contract was done. So now here's a guy, I was like, what I said, I said 22 or 23 years old, that just led minor league hockey and goal scoring as a 23-year-old, traded for Yannick Perot, and I didn't have a contract. On, in my entry-level deal, I had 150000 guarantee uh, in the minors, right, just the way the, the, the bonuses worked out or whatever, but my base was like seventy-four or whatever it was, right, 74000 And as far as the the how it worked and sorry for your listeners this is super boring but i think it's pretty compelling from yeah, the business no, aspect. Cool. but 
all they had to do to qualify me was to give me a 10% raise right? if they wanted to keep me, right? And that, that kept me as an unrestricted free agent. So that meant in the, in the, in the show, and that also meant in the minors. Right. So like I was, if I signed that deal, I was going to be making like 82.5 or whatever, which is like a 50% pay cut for scoring the most goals in the minor leagues. Like, and some of those minor leagues are paying guys a couple hundred thousand dollars or more. Yeah. Yeah. So like it was it, like that was so strange to me. So like I, I didn't sign the deal. I went to camp without a contract, which I thought was like super noble. Like I wasn't insured. Like I I wanted to make that team, and and you know I worked my tail off for them that summer. And anyways, at the end of the day, I signed this deal, which was that. Like I they they rewarded me with for my forty eight goal season with a fifty percent pay cut because they could, and I had no leverage. Like <laughs> I did the way you put that. It's going to <laughs> oh god. So, so this is still LA then. So you got a two-way deal. Yeah, two-way deal, LA. I t- took a pay cut. Andy Murray was there and another crazy, I mean, Brad Chartrand, who's a buddy of mine, like he ended up making the team out of camp. If you look at our stats from the year before, he was also in St. John's. Um, half the stats I had, like smaller player than me, wouldn't fight, but he was, he played with Andy Murray uh, at the National League program, right? So he knew him. He ended up taking a shardy. I ended up going to Lowell. Um, played there, Lowell led the team in points, led the team in scoring again that year. And then, but you know how it goes now too, right? Like you go from prospect and the longer you're a prospect and you're not there, then you're a suspect. And then you're just, you're not a player anymore. You don't start getting labeled as a minor league player and all that. Yeah. Yeah. How many years in the LA organization now? Uh, I think just the one. And then I got taken on the waiver draft by Tampa, which was another super weird thing. They had been in the playoffs for like ever. And, um, What's that guy's name? Uh, Dudley. Dudley was the was the GM there. Yeah. Never talked to him once. Never like ne- he's never. Weird, he's oh. a weird guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, long, yeah. that's a whole another yeah, journey. Like that was so strange that I they they we had the worst. They had the worst team in the NHL, and we had the worst team in the IHL with the Detroit Vipers. And he called everybody on that team up, like the twenty-year-old Slovaks and the this, that, and the other, and like. Anyways, and I never got a phone call like once after they took me in this draft. And like, anyways, that was super weird too. Anyways, whatever. It, it, it sounds like it's a pity party, but it was, it was looking back now, it was like super strange. Like all the little stops were very, very weird in some ways. Well, you get involved with some of the weirdest guys in the game too, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, and okay, so you got Tampa, where next? Well, that was when I, so I requested, that was the last year of my second deal now. Like, so when I was in, in Detroit and I knew things, things weren't looking good there because Detroit, the Vipers, like I said, we were not good. Bradshaw was fun to play for. Like I liked him. Scotty Nickel was there. We had some, some cool guys and some good pieces, but we just weren't, we weren't good and it wasn't fun. And I knew that my own personal season, that was the worst season that I was having to date as a, as a pro. And, um, and we requested a trade. So they ended up moving me to Winnipeg at, at the, uh, at the deadline. That was a minor league deal this time. So like Daniel Gonneau for me, uh, went to Winnipeg, finished the year. Okay. Like a little bit better. I still got 20 goals in the season. So, you I mean, whatever it, it, it was all right. And then I got, uh, I got a deal with the, with the Islanders that, that summer. So I got another two week deal. I think it was a one year, uh, that I got at that point. That was nine eleven. Again, another super like we, we we go into Lake Placid. It was day one of camp. We just left New York City and nine eleven like we came back off the ice and and we saw the buildings going down. And uh and then when I when I got let go from there, I found out my mom had breast breast cancer who was like single at the time and like had to go in for surgery and like that whole year was was crazy. We had a really good year actually in Bridgeport. We went all the way to the final. We had a we had a good group there. Um 
but yeah, then I was when I was I made the decision to try and reinvent myself because I sort of felt like I was getting lost in the shuffle and I wanted to go to go overseas and and have a good offensive year. I thought and kind of reinvent myself and come back. Some guys were doing that, and um, I stuck to the first part of the plan, uh, which was going overseas and having a good offensive year. But then I was having kind of too good of an offensive year, and they offered me a two year extension, like two months into the season there. And I was having so much fun, like on the ice and off the ice. I was it was sort of one of those moments where it was like, well, I know if I sign this, the NHL probably dream is done, but you know, making essentially NHL one way money, like league minimum there, you know, less games, they couldn't trade me, you know, like there was, there was all those kind of things that I was sort of getting sick of back in North America. And, and so I signed it and you know, whatever the rest is history. I, I don't, I don't regret it per se, um, because it was a heck of a lot of fun there and it was a great way to see the world, but yeah, that's, uh, so that's where it ended for you. You played those two, three years out there. Was it? Well, kind of. I mean, I did retire then. I, I got a shoulder surgery and I didn't wasn't quite the player. I, I decided to retire. I got a concussion there too, which I hadn't had before. So my head was feeling weird and like that was kind of a little bit scary getting to be 29, 30. So I, I uh, decided to go back to school. I thought that that was what I wanted to, to do. That was sort of, that was the uh, thing that was left undone. I, I always did like academia and and uh, but that was definitely not what I thought it was going to be. Being a first year uh, university guy with 18 year olds um, was at 29 was strange. And then I just kept getting contract offers from like everywhere. It was super strange, uh, that year that I, that I retired. And, and so this team in Japan ended up wanted, uh, wanted me to come out there. So I, I ended up doing that. I wrote my final, I wrote my finals in Christmas, like from the first semester of, of my thing. And then, uh, hopped on a plane and went out to Japan for, oh. for three months. And absolutely like, that was a really, really cool experience. And then I also got my love for the game back. I was like, you know what I can play. And I think I can still play in the NHL. And, uh, and I, and I, uh, asked, I got on the phone with, uh, Ken Holland, who's, who's here in Vernon. He was a GM of the, of the, uh, Red Wings at the time. And they had Mike Babcock as a coach at the time. So I always had the history there. So I was like, you know what? Like, I'd love to give it a whirl and got on the phone with Babcock. And he was like, I can't believe you haven't been here this whole time. Like, sure. I'll have you out to camp, right? Let's see what you can do. And, um, and it was having a really good camp up until the point that I, uh, cracked my cartilage in my ribs trying to hit somebody and then I was you know 70 percent and anyways got a couple exhibition games in played in Minnesota and they offered me an AHL deal I, I wasn't just good enough to make the team out of camp I, I, w- I would have been close if I was healthy but anyways when when that didn't work out that's when I officially uh, hung them up okay Tom I got a question for you of all the shows we've done who's the first person that ever used the word academia well I <laughs> wow well, Matt you're intelligent for a hockey player too that's what he didn't make it. That is that where the bars at on this show? Academia, like totally in the top, top tier. Smart, right? Smart. I went to the, the Northern Michigan, which is the Harvard of the UP. Yeah, in the Midwest. Yes, the entire Midwest. But uh, I well, I took bowling, figure skating, or yeah. Wow, that's impressive, pods. Yeah. How about you? You're still working out all the time, or what? Yeah, my whole true good life now is I'm up at three thirty every day um, in the gym, all healthy foods. I make my own foods now, my own ketchup and hummus, and I've really. Uh, the pandemic is uh, bad for a lot of people, but for me, it was incredible. I've just learned so much more in the process of writing a book. So yeah, it's um, the fitness is a huge part of my life now. I three yeah. thirty every day still. Yeah, well, Jim Thompson, a former player, I was getting up at three thirty anyways. But Jim Thompson's real. We went through some tough times. We played together a little bit in L.A. And I was getting out, I'd going out and posting a video around three fifty, three fifty five, just a short motivational video. So he said, Tom, I grew up in a trailer home outside Edmonton and the trailer number was 353. So could you go out there every day and post a video at 353 on Instagram? 
So I do it every day for him, 353, but it's really helped me. I just stuff, stuff that you're talking about. It's really helped me a lot with my discipline, just taking it to another level to say, oh, geez, there's more things you can do. I like get on a schedule. And I try to teach people a lot too, especially if people want to be on a diet. It's, to me, it's really hard to just be on a diet and be disciplined on that diet, but the rest of your life is just a mess. So the more you can discipline yourself to get into a routine, it doesn't have to be 3.30 in the morning, just whatever your your routine is. So tell me you go to bed at? You know what? I don't get much sleep at 10 or 11 o'clock. Yeah, I've, I've learned. I, I do believe in the science of sleep that it is important, but I just, uh, like if I go to bed at 9 o'clock, I'll wake up at 2.30 in the morning. Now. So it's uh, just a pattern you get into. So, so well, four, and a half, four and a half to five and a half hours? Uh, yeah, yeah. And it seems that's, in the occasion, if I've got nothing going on, I'll take a nap during the day, I work from home and everything. So, but usually it's not. I'm just, uh, you know what it sounds like with you too? I really love my life now. So I, people, like people ask like, what do you do for fun? Well, I get up. You know, I, I love my life for what I'm doing. So a lot of Costco. I know everybody at Costco there. I come in there, high five and everybody. So, yeah. How old are you now, Tom? 65. 55. Yeah. What the, I, I was at the vet the other day and some kid said to me, he says, sir, you look like The Rock's grandfather. So, okay. That's, yeah. I'll take The Rock part. That's awesome though. Yeah. And you know what? The Rock is like, what, 51 or something. Like, yeah. That, he's crazy too. I yeah. think that he can't be all natural though. Although I, maybe he is. Yeah. He looks a little too big yeah. at that age to, to be all natural. Well, you know, too much. It's what you eat. It's how you take care of yourself. And then the question I asked before about your body and your mind, how they're tied together. I believe in that totally. I think the science is overwhelming. You know, you exercise more. It makes your brain stronger. All these proteins go to your brain and all that. So, yeah. hey, listen, you, I, I know probably your career did not turn out the way you wanted to as far as being a player, but you're really doing fantastic. Now. I really mean that seriously. You're a very intelligent young man. I look what you do on helping other people make it a business doing it too. So, very cool. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, that's what I, I do. I do joke about that a little bit. Like, that I was probably a better player than my NHL career shows. But yeah. if I did have a really good NHL career, I would probably not be doing what I'm doing right yeah. now. And I think yeah. that I'm probably making more of an impact now, helping helping the other side of it. So, yeah. you know, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, you definitely are. Great to see you again, brother. You're a good man. Hey, man, we thanks for having me on. getting on your podcast too, right? Yeah, I appreciate the invite. Yeah, we can yeah. do that. Okay, good. Good to see you again, brother. Thank you very much. Cheers, Tom. Thanks, guys. Wow, what a, that, was, that was a great talk, man. Jason Podolan, not Podolan. Great talk, great life. And his wife's a Spice Girl. Wife was not a Spice Girl. She was in uh, uh, Forgotten Angel, Fallen Angel. What was the name of it? Forgotten Nobody's Angel. Some, some kind of angel. How do I create something like that? I, I really convinced myself that she was a Spice Girl. But you were in the right area code, so props to you. It was a girl band around that time, so good job, man. Okay. Could have been Destiny's Child. Could have been one of those groups, you know, but it was not the Spice Girl. He could have just agreed with me. I mean, he have to, didn't have to ruin my story. Well, yeah, he could have just lied to make your story, yeah. make you feel negative. Don't let the facts get, yeah, don't let the facts get away from good story. Why not? But listen, great story. He, uh, he His career didn't turn out on the ice like he hoped it would or like it was as a junior, because you had scouted him as a as a junior player, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think before I joined IMG, he was actually represented by IMG, but I had tried to get him as a client, but then ultimately, I, again, I was working with IMG when he was there too. So right. But I really didn't get well, to deal with him much. He's like, Kid too. Oh yeah. Smart. And th does a great podcast, has this company and you know, he's doing much yeah. better, you know, post NHL life. I like what he talked about with the young players kind of taking more control of their careers and their relationships with the coaches and everything too. That was cool. Yeah. It's funny how he talked about how his, his father thought he should have more input in, in his yeah. junior career and he thought he should have less and they both still think yeah. that they were right. So yeah, I know it's, his father, he, he, his father loved his son to death, but he was, uh, yeah, he was hands on. There's <laughs> some questions. Yeah. And sometimes that turns off coaches and organizations, right? I mean, you, you yeah, I imagine it does. Yeah, I'd like that. 
I think the coaches respect the players more, especially if they're like at a younger age, that they've got the courage to walk into the coach's office and sit down with them and say, listen, what do I need to do to play more? You know, not complain sure. about things, but just say, okay, I want how can I help this team more? Instead of having the yeah. parent come in or the agent come in. And that's really what Jason was talking about uh, too, is that that guy, the player have more relationship with the coach. So sure. You know, that's important. You know, I even see it, it I'm coaching mites, as you know, but like there, some of the parents are very more involved than the others. Are like, Hey, you guys are the coaches. You do it. You know, I was talking to one dad, Matt Sharkey and his, about his son. I said, you know, we want him to turn his back when the guy's coming on him. He goes, you tell him. He's like, he won't listen to me anyway. I'm like, all right, fair enough. But my, I, you know, my oldest son, Shane, was a goaltender and I was always trying to get him to get out of the, get out, get You were like, get out of the blue paint, Shane, get out of the blue paint. And it was a metaphor yeah. for life, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got yeah. Your start. I, I heard that one. <laughs> but he did get out of the blue paint. Right. Well, yeah, when another coach came along, some random coach he didn't even know, he wanted to get out of the blue paint. And then just a few years ago, he says, we're, something in the conversation, came oh, that's why you want me to get out of the blue paint. Yeah, there you go. See, Dad, you're not an idiot. You're right. Yeah. But that's that's what they gain with knowledge, you know, with, with age yeah. and, and experience. They learn, oh, my God, my parents were actually onto something. Yeah, and that's the great thing about hockey. And Jason was really preaching that, too, that uh, you can make such a difference in a person's life if you're coached properly. It's not, again, it's not just the X's and O's of the game. It's the attitude. It's uh, yeah. The thought process, how to fight through things. Yeah, yeah. Not to toot your horn, not to toot your horn for you, pump your tires, but you know, there's what 600 players in the NHL out of all the people playing hockey at that time. Yeah. So it yeah. it's really it's really difficult. You're we're, no one. You're not all going to make it. I mean, the overwhelming yeah. odds are that you're not going to make it if you're a young hockey player. So what you yeah. got to gain is experience, skill. Cool. You 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 gain um, friendships. You gain you deal with adversity. So you deal with these things, these life skills. It's more about that than becoming an NHL hockey player because the odds are stacked against you, you know? Right. So you're almost, I think you're you're a miracle, Tom. You're a miracle that you made it to the NHL. Well, it, it is true. I look back and I go, like, and I was so lucky in my life to some of the things I did, like, you know, playing in the National Hockey League game, going Survivor too. There's only like six or 700 people who have ever played Survivor. Yeah. But you know, the one thing I do say to the parents and the kids is, listen, your dream should be to play in the National Hockey League. Yeah. But you need to understand that chances are far greater that you don't play in the National Hockey League, but still that process of working hard, sacrificing, go get that goal. So even if it doesn't work out for you, which it probably won't work out for you, at least you say, you know what, I give it everything I could to try to make it. And now the rest of the things that I do in my life, my careers, my relationships, I'll do the same thing in those things. And you'll be successful. Yeah. It, it's almost like an upside down funnel. Like when they're that young, you just encourage their dreams. And, and as they yeah. get older, you know, more reality comes in and the funnel gets tighter. And then the very few make it, but still go for it. You know, give it your best yeah, shot. Totally. I like that. That's a good uh, analogy. Is this the analogy or metaphor? What was that? Yes. It was both. It was, and it was on the spot too. So there you go. Feel free to use it. But it's, yeah, yeah, think, totally. you know, and then, but, but you don't want to tell a nine, 10 year old, you're never going to make it. You know, go for yeah. it. Try Try your best. Work hard. You know, and if you. But my, that's the people I had in my life. I was so lucky. My parents, uh, my junior coach, Rick Hay, my college coach, Rick Comley. They never took away my dreams. Like the, yep. like the rest of the times, like especially when I was small and I wrote the letter that I was going to play in the NHL and I couldn't skate. I'm sure my parents must be like, this kid's crazy, right? Like, no, but that's but the time never... to dream. That's yeah. the time to so, dream and that's time to, and then, you know, if you're 16, 17 and you're just, you know, you're on the fourth line on some B team, it's like, well, probably not going to make it. You know, you realize that, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, but uh, but when you, oh, you're frozen. Look at that. You have a nice smile on your face and those green eyes. You're just frozen. Furry. Look at the, look at that. You're going to hair out a little bit, it looks like. Yeah, I have a little bit there out top. Yeah, yeah, a little bit like said, a buzz cut. You have the like, yellow eyes. Yellow. You have to like yellow. What are you talking about? There's yellow. My kids, my kids have that too. Called hazel, or whatever. But there's like green oh, and yellow. Is brown in there? Hazel, yellow. Yellow. 
He's a little bit yellow in there. Also, you're frozen, it's your, but you got a nice grin on your face, so that's good. Perfect. That's what you should be. That's it. That's good. That was but what a show! Was, what what is you always have a grand? You do actually, you do. Yeah. And and what a great show with Jason Bedolin and uh, yeah, interesting guy. You got to get out very intelligent, very intelligent. Yeah. Oh man, it's, I really like his outlook on how he helps a lot of kids and how to deal with coaches and relationships and all that. But really, it'd be interesting for people to listen to that. It's a great show. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, people love it and like, share, subscribe, do everything, do everything you can. Go on social media, like the show, and if you want Tom on your uh, to come to your event. Email fullchangepodcast at gmail.com. And I can do imitations. I can sing and dance, whatever you want to do, get that. Cut, cut, cut it right there. Okay. Yeah, that's the show. Thanks, guys. See you, everybody. All right, grasshoppers. Thank you for listening. We had a fantastic show. We'll see you next time. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.